0: Well good morning, I'm going to do a new episode, I'm going to discuss a new sutra, a sutra that is incredibly important um, to Buddhism itself, uh, it's got an incredible mystery attached to it, uh, it's maybe obscured by time and translation, history, lost history as well, uh, but it is by many considered a seminal text. What's interesting is it's a seminal text, if not maybe the founding text, of Zen. John. Uh, it's also a mind-only school text, Chittamatra, and also a Yogacara text. Yogacara, right? And what we'll see in the Lankavatara is they use a number of concepts that are shared between the two but also some that are arguably maybe not. Not that they're not shared but just not as often discussed or how they discuss it. So, what am I talking about? I'm talking about the Lankavatara-sukha, sutra, (laughs) sutam, (laughs) sutram, sutam, sutta, I apologize, it's way too many uh, too many uh, languages here. Uh, Interestingly, That's what we're dealing with with the Lanka. So the Lanka itself, we believe, was written around the time that I was discussing that uh, Pyro came in uh, to India. Now, uh, just like Bodhidharma, who may or may not exist, but say he existed, just as when he came in uh, to China, uh, he really was known, but he wasn't um, he wasn't the reason that uh, that Zen Chan became known. Only uh, with the, the eye of history do we know that now. Right? And again, what's interesting is, <laughs> I find this very interesting, because um, right around the 5th, 6th patriarch, and if you're a follower of the southern uh, Chan school, You'll be familiar with the Sixth Patriarch. Um, And if you're a follower of the Northern Zen School, uh, you may not be uh, a follower of what I'm going to mention here in a moment. Okay, so it split off. And it went from the much, much more difficult to understand Lanka, which, by the way, even the name's a bit of a mystery, but most agree that Lanka is referring to Sri Lanka, because that's where he uh, gave... um, the instruction, uh, as well as maybe um, Lanka, Vatara being avataram uh, or avatar, uh, which is the embodiment of a god uh, interacting in this realm, right? Our samsaric realm, kind of like when we talked about the Gita, uh, Krishna is the avatar of Vishnu, right? Krishna is who we, Sri Krishna is who we uh, interact with, just as Arjuna did, right? And just as the Buddha did, believe it or not. As they said, Brahman. Likely, it was probably Krishna, or it could have been just about any of the avatars. It could have been uh, it could have been uh, Maitreya. It could have been Avilokitesvara. All known uh, in the lore to have used dimensional bodies. Okay, but the reason why I mention this is important. Okay, for two big reasons. I keep talking about interdependent or dependent origination. I've discussed the different um, realities. Uh, I've essentially danced around interdependent origination or dependent, dependent origination. Uh, Not because it's really terribly difficult, but because, I mean, I have been uh, defining it as we've gone along here, right? So what is dependent origination? Um, It's understanding that, um, that shunyata doctrine, it's understanding that emptiness of any intrinsic nature or of self, right? So what we have to look here is the heart of all the teachings, right? So let's start, and I want to just quote Suzuki, who is well known for his translation of the Lanka, but that's where the confusions begin, right? There's a number of translations, but none of them kind of jive, as it were, the original Sanskrit is arguably lost, save for 18th, 19th century versions, which is a thousand years removed uh, or more from when it was a seminal text. Now, the history does tell us that likely um, likely uh, not something we're ever going to see. But the reason why I mention it is uh, some of the final questions, I think, are very obviously added Um, much, much later, but just as the Buddha taught, right? Uh, You just ignore what doesn't jive with the teachings, right? And you embrace what does. It's simply using that, you know, guided, not letting ego make you think, oh, well, this is the way it is. Just simply focusing with sama knowledge, right knowledge, correct knowledge, perfect knowledge, right intention, right thought, right action, right speech, right? Right concentration, which is common translation or meditative absorption, right? Samadhi, right? So that's the perfect mind of awareness, right? Like I said before, sati is a Pali word that means to remember. We use it, they used it to mean mindfulness in a context of um, sharing the Dharma, the teachings. Same as Dhyana, was the word used for this contemplative absorption, this focus, this awareness. Commonly translated as mindfulness and meditation, but we lose the root, and obviously that the actual understanding, right? Because Samadhi and Sati have a, ro- uh, a root. That tells us what they meant for us to understand from. And on that note, I'm just going to read Suzuki uh, when he discusses why the Lankā is so important, <clears throat> and why and why Bodhidharma is important, whether he existed or not. Suzuki goes on and says the reason why Bodhidharma handed this sutra to Heyko was containing, as it was containing the essence of Zen Buddhism. Okay, I'll go on. I apologize for that. Frog in my throat. And as I said, I'm going to continue with a quote from D.T. Suzuki when he's discussing the importance of the Luangka and Bodhidharma himself. The reason why Bodhidharma handed this sutra to Hoekho as containing the essence of Zen Buddhism must be sought in this. That the constant refrain of the Lankavitara is the all importance of the inner perception. Pratya magati or self realization, which is Svasidhanta. And that's from his studies in the Lankavatara. And it goes on and says, um, indeed, it's a constant refrain. It's firmly rooted in what would later become known Yogacara Buddhism. It also talks about the Bodhisattva path, which is still a constant uh, refrain in the Mahayana discourse. And so he goes on and he talks about the questions being uh, posed. But um, this I find interesting because he goes on, And mentions, just as the Diamond Sutra teaches detachment from dharmas, and the Heart Sutra teaches the emptiness of dharmas, the Lanka teaches the non-projection of dharmas. That there would be no dharmas to be empty or to be detached from if we did not project them as existing or not existing in the first place. And it quotes the Buddha telling Mahamati, because the various projections of people's minds appear before them as objects, they become attached to the existence of their projections. So how do they get free of such attachments? And the Buddha goes on and says, by becoming aware that projections are nothing but mind. Thus do they transform their body and mind, and finally see clearly all the stages and realms of self-awareness, of tathagatas. and transcend views and projections regarding the five dharmas and the modes of reality. Okay? So there's a quote because it goes on and talks about how um, uh, the Diamond Sutra became uh, the the, um, the seminal text for the Southern School of Zen because it was a little easier to get into. Reading this you go, mm, what is he trying to say? Right? But it's simple, right? Again, stealing from the Yogacara school, mind only, but of course once again, they're also using the modes of rally and the five dharmas, right? And talking about these are nothing but projections of the mind. So what does he mean if we were to overcome this delusion or cease Naroda, right? Cease these projections, right? Um, what's the other term they sometimes use? Uh, be free um, of outflows, which is commonly the uh, the Chinese term, right? Free of outflow. <clears throat> what is he talking about? Yes, we're talking about mind only, but <laughs> this is what I'm talking about here, okay? Uh, and he goes on and he talks about how, right, having proclaimed the illusory nature of projections. Again, mind only school, of course, but it is the fact that the mind is the source of our delusions and our suffering is the important takeaway. He goes on and says, including such yoga categories as the five dharmas and the three modes of reality, the Buddha directs Mahamati to its source, namely consciousness itself. Right? So, what does he mean? Right? He says, what does this, uh, these two teachings that underlie this sutra, that nothing but mind of Yogacara and the self-realization of Zen? Right? I keep talking about this, right? and I mean, I just recently talked about how uh, I was kind of chuckling that the last book I was reading was kind of uh, throwing shade on the Pachyaka Buddhas, Pratyaka Buddhas, uh, and Shravakas because of their selfish self liberation, right? Uh, it was so much tougher form, and they felt bad for <clears> them. <throat> I find that quite funny. But what I want to mention is that word that I alluded to, Naroda. Naroda is the original word. As I said, it, it Became translated in Zen as free of outflows. Free of what? I want to explain or just simply read cessation of sensation and perception. The Sanskrit is Samnya Vedita Niroda Samapadi. Right? So Sanskrit, but it is 100% very Pali based. So we have Samnya, that's the JNA, so Sam perfect yeah concentration or ideal or you know um, perception Vedita that's eventually like the Vedanta right same root so it's kind of like this yogacara idea right right it's an idea of cessation right uh, of these sensations and perceptions which is identical to uh, Advaita Vedanta right? Right, your path too, but more importantly it's interesting to go and look at how much is shared. Niroda, I've explained, is cessation, that's ending both these sensations and perceptions. right? And Samapati, right? As I mentioned before, Samapati is perfect practice, right? Or perfect application, right? Uh, and Samapati pati, right? P-A-T-I-P-A-T-T-I In this case it's um, I want to make sure if it's Sam or Sama. Uh, not a big difference. means exactly the same, but uh, Samapati. So not exactly the same, I apologize. Uh, sama is double M, but uh, it should be exactly the same, right? So the Samapati is not actually being translated in this as, uh, as the practice of, or the perfect practice of cessation, of sensation and perception. And it says, This meditation is carried out in the realm of form as well as in the formless realm and is considered the highest or most sublime of the nine levels of meditative states cultivated in these two realms. Okay. So what is this cessation of sensation and perception? (laughs) Um, It's actually dependent origination, right? So it's the sensation of this delusion we have that what we perceive is anything but mind born so let me just read you dependent origination the sanskrit is prat pratya samutpada i'll do that again cuz i messed it up pratya samutpada the understanding that one is dependent one thing but one us as well One thing is dependent upon another, therefore does not exist by itself, and it forms the basis of the teaching that all dharmas are therefore empty of self-existence, right? So that's important, as they give an example of the, the rope snake metaphor, right? We see a rope on the ground, misperceive it as a snake. It's important here, right? That's mind only born, as is the rope itself, right? was the understanding of the chain of dependent origination, ignorance, memory, consciousness, and so on, up to grasping existence, birth, even old age and death itself, right? And that's what led to Shakyamuni's enlightenment. That's not me saying that. That was in the definition. And what does that mean? What do we mean by that? It's like the... uh the example that there would be no enlightenment if there were no ignorance, there'd be no need, there would be no dependent reality if we realized that all things um, are empty of inherent existence again, empty of self. So, that idea of oneness, again, as we were talking about, that tathagata garbha, that awakening to our Buddha nature, our store of Buddha nature within us, if that doesn't make us oneness. Um, Certainly not the Brahman nature, but it's no different when we all share the same quality, right? And so what are we talking about here? I've mentioned this before. It's the mind only, but what does the mind realize? The mind, my apologies again, realizes dependent reality. What is that? That's what I kind of mentioned before when I said the three states, when I was talking about um, Garfield and... How he seemed to just <laughs> try to explain these three states of. Uh, mm, three states of our uh, relationship with reality. Can I put it that way? So, dependent reality in Sanskrit is para tantra, swabhava. I love that. Para, as we know, is. On the other side, right? Tantra. So we know what tantra is. It's a practice, but it's an esoteric practice, but it's a very specific practice. Swabhava is these perceptions, all of the perceptions, the dependent origination, the ignorance, the memory, the consciousness, the grasping, the existence, the birth, the old age, the death, and as Suzuki said, the. Uh, you know, our, our, our volition, our determination, our, our thoughts, right? So, Paratantra, Swabhava, reality as a matrix of interdependence, right? So, the truth of reality is this inter, uh, interdependent uh, origination, or dependent origination, or matrix of interdependence. Where nothing exists by itself, where there are therefore no things in themselves, right? It's confusing because we as humans look for order and chaos, so we of course slide back to things like physics to try to answer these questions, only to be further confused when we see that physics itself is, is attempting to show us uh, the truths of these statements, not in a metaphysical way, but simply because we perceive secondhand and our ego uh, is inherently always trying to uh, lead us down a garden path, as they say, when it's actually a you know a landfill, right? So it's that understanding that reality is a matrix of this interdependence, where nothing exists by or of itself, where there are ne- therefore no things. In and of themselves, no self, no um, truth to the existence of any particular thing. Again, goes back to the marks of existence, right? That uh, that uh, all things are impermanent. It goes on. It says dependent reality is also referred to as prati- pratiya samut pada. That's the one I'm more common with. Sam. Pada, right? Or dependent origination, right? It's the snake rope analogy. Dependent reality is the rope while it forms the basis for misperception. It's also a misperception as if it's arbitrary designation without self-existence. Again, doesn't really explain what we're going after here, does it? Right? Right? Okay? So let me just explain what we're trying to realize, the true nature and dependent origination of. It's the five dharmas. In Sanskrit, that's the pacha or paka. I think it's pacha dharma. It's a single C, but I think it's a cha, pacha, pancha, pancha, pardon me, pancha dharma. If you're following on and looking up these terms as we talk, I know I'm not. I have in the past. Don't misunderstand. I just I'm going on purely memory. This, as it goes on and says, this is one of the principal concepts used in this sutra to explain how we misperceive reality and how we correct, how we correct such misperception. They include appearance, name, projection, discrimination. Right. That's that volition, or it's um, another word they use in English but where you make kind of an assumption based on the information at hand, but it's all second-hand information. And it goes on and fin- finishes with correct knowledge and suchness, right? So the five dharmas, it's appearance, name, projection. Projection is discrimination for Suzuki. What I mean is projection is the idea of um, you perceive something and you make a, a volition from that or a discrimination from it, right? You, right? You see a book... Uh, and you make uh, a judgment based on its cover that 's that same idea, so it's appearance name, projection, discrimination, correct knowledge, suchness right so it 's funny that we see again that these same right appearance right appearance can be used for us to see the true nature of reality right as we said before we have um, what on here. Let me find the definition so I don't do it off simply off my own. Um, what do you call it? Memory. So it's the three realities or three natures, right? There we go. Very nice. I like that he puts a lot of the um, the Sanskrit, right? So the three modes of reality. Right, I've talked about this before. You become awake to the nature of dependent origination, right? The truth that your ego is not really telling you what's really going on externally, but more important, it's how you manage your internal uh, and how you handle that perception, right? So the three modes of, of reality in Sanskrit, it's Triswavava. They include imagined reality, again, where everything you see is just imaginary. Dependent, that's when you understand that it's dependent, but you're still suffering at its, uh, or you're just, um, what do you call it, uh, subject to its um, reality. But again, not at the parasamgate. You're not. Uh, gone to the other shore, free from residing in the final perfected reality, the para the perfection. What would that be? It could be that prana-paramita, right? Or the sati, to remember that one resides in this awareness of dependent origination. So, yes, mind only schools, but the core is, of course, the Marx of existence, that we are impermanent, all things are impermanent, that there is no self, and that life is inherently dissatisfying because of these ego-based desires that we chase. And of course, living by our ego, we live in the imagined mode of reality. Awakened to the true nature of reality, we can live within the dependent reality but again not awakened and free from the same lot certainly not as tortured but finally with a goal of perfect reality these three modes of non-reality include form life and reality it's it, the term doesn't appear in the lanka but it's important right when it says reality it's talking about the imagined right and the truth of dependent origination and dependent reality, right? Like I said about the snake and the rope. It's not a snake. It's a rope. But the rope itself is really not a rope, right? I mean, think about it. It's it's, it's hemp or it's, uh, or it's um, jute, right? Which was grass. Uh, I mean, which was water and sun and nutrients from the soil. It's this idea to understand... Um, And this is what we've talked about, that you can sometimes use death and decay for meditative absorption. But it's for you to realize that you are just as impermanent as that grass, right? Just as subject to such a crazy um, mistake as to perceive that rope as a snake every day you're subject to these same delusions these same dualities right the three means to knowledge then include accepted authority inference or reasoning and direct experience right that's again as i said both our path to liberation but also the source of our suffering same as the mind right because accepted Authority. If we accept our authority from our ego or from a wrong source, we'll be just as jaded and deluded. Inference or reasoning. That's why we must be sure that we're rooted in the Eightfold Path or sama actions and thoughts and concentration and effort. Because that's how we can transcend the delusion inherent in inference or reasoning. And finally, direct experience. Sometimes very very difficult or near impossible. Because, again, we're experiencing our existence arguably secondhand. Our mind is being told what it experiences and our ego tends to jade it. So it's an interesting idea whether we would be able to directly experience reality or not. Right? So, on that line, I guess I can can leave it because... um, it's just an intro to the importance of the Lankavitara. Um, maybe discussing how important it is to maybe not lock yourself into one tradition or another. Right? As the Buddha taught us. Um, right? Use your own judgment to decide uh, what makes sense. And again, as I enjoy quoting, Yi, he was a Chinese... Um, Buddhist, writing not dissimilarly about this idea of mind-only and dependent origination at about the same time as Bodhidharma and Bodhirishi, uh, both uh, interchangeably credited with being the first patriarchs of Zen. I like to quote Chury because he practiced um, what he preached, in that uh, his goal was to find a way Uh, for patipati, or not just be a scholar, but a practitioner. And he said that since there is no end to sentient beings, right, because we are born and die, but again, we are going to be reborn because of this delusion, because there is no end to sentient beings, there is therefore no end to the entries to the Dharma of Nirvana, right so don't let anybody tell you there is one way or another to make this realization the simple realization is that your liberation is within your mind that's what they mean by mind only right your suffering uh, is sourced there your liberation your understanding right your comprehension of the dharmas of dependent origination of the truth of the mind only school chittamatra. Even something as simple as compassion, karuna, and metta, loving-kindness, right? upekka, equanimity. Equanimity is what we're trying to learn here. Upeka is a concept. Equanimity has been changed a little bit, right? I like to think the French of fraternité, right? Which is brotherhood of all mankind. That's what I like to translate, equanimity. Uh, or uh, upeka, right? Because that's the heart of the practice, right? How can you understand other delusional beings with compassion when you can understand that they either are ignorant and they don't understand or they're just suffering and you can have compassion for them no matter how malevolent or abhorrent their actions may be, right? Metta. Or you can use loving kindness, again, to understand others, but you can also rein in your own ego, right? Because love can smother, as can kindness. They can also be found wanting without the right intention, but loving kindness keeps you from too much or not enough, right? So, once again, this is, I go back to the word that I use often, Upaya. Upaya is efficient means, or special means, specific means. I would maybe even say personal means. Upaya is efficient means, meaning kind of like what Buddha said. Right? Not that there's one practice, or one practice is better than another. The idea is, take what works and leave the rest. Right? No two collections... ...of aggregates are identical, just like the rope. Not saying that the rope isn't there. It's just as we perceive it, it does not exist. Right? So same as, for some people, they perceive their mantra as the only way out. Or mantras themselves. You can personalize it by choosing your own mantra. But what about those who don't find the mantra to be liberating... Right? Or those who aren't given the proper instruction. Right? We must keep an open mind that arguably there is no one sutta, arguably is there no one practice, save for arguably sati, or simply to remember, remember the truths and the source of your suffering, whether you want to practice naroda or cessation or not, doesn't matter. When you realize where you're uh, suffering, from which, from whence your suffering flows, um, at least you understand, right? Arguably, even if you don't implement the practice, you can still see some, some sucker, right? If you understand that you're, you're the source of your own ego, uh, even if you don't wholly believe it, as the Buddha feared most people, would have a hard time understanding the simple truth. Even if you don't have the complete and total shraddha necessary, not necessary, but definitely recommended, shraddha being both faith and absolute commitment, not just in the prescription of Buddhism, but in any act you perform, right? Because that's the idea of incense, right? What are you doing? You're making an offering to the Buddha But in reality, you're trying to bring your mind to awareness. Just as Tole said, realizing you're no longer in the present moment is actually bringing your mind to the present. It is the awareness of your lack of presence, thus transforming absent-mindedness into awareness. Right? So that's why... You can't um, think that there's one way or another, right? Because, I mean, as I've said for me, I nearly gave up um, the practice, right? And became simply a scholar, right? Or a fan um, and not a practitioner because I incessantly, and this is why I used to call myself a Pachyaka Buddha, is because I was a sole practitioner, because I was made to feel such a heretic because I was unable to sit. right? Fast-forward 35 or 40 years, and I'd been suffering for a long time with a, uh, with, with a rare and incurable disease, right? So there's twofold, right? Should I not take my medicine? because it's considered a no-no, kind of like, say, onions or garlic. Like, what if onions or garlic was the root for healing your disease, which didn't allow you to sit, but since it was verboten in the sutta, you couldn't heal. It's this weird idea, right, that we all miss the original teachings, that it has to make sense or forget it, right? So for me, I was unable to sit. So, after years of being told I wasn't doing it right, well, I just stopped doing it. Right? But what was most ironic is my misunderstanding, or proper understanding, flowed from having read very esoteric works like the Bardo Duel, which taught awareness. What is awareness? It's to remember that your ego is the source of your suffering. Right? That all external phenomena may or may not. Uh, dependently exist, but they are of little importance considering your relation to them uh, and the mind itself being the entirety of the reality, right? Because if you look at the three modes of reality, what changes? Reality doesn't change. It's your perception of everything that changes. That's the root here. So, on that note, I guess I'll end it. Um, I highly recommend that you get into Red Pines, Vitara. I really enjoy it uh, because he makes it much, much easier uh, to access because uh, when he is translating, he's translating a number of the previous translations. Now, again, I've said there isn't very many out there, but he does give you a real good idea of uh, just, I mean, the history and what the meaning and the message. Remember, we've talked about this. Rather than being confused by the word choice by this translator or another, uh, the attempt is to find the meaning and the message and ignore the words, ignore the egos, ignore the histories, uh, and find the truths so we can disseminate this healing doctrine, right? It's nothing magical in any sense. I mean, I find it interesting. This is why a lot of the sutras have survived, because they were translated because of their apparent Uh, or they're, I guess they're considered power in the the sutra uh, and mantras themselves. Power for authority. uh, Power for military uh, conquests. Not power for the liberation. So it's quite funny that um, these truths have been handed down for well over a millennia. And particularly with the Lanka, it's been a revered document uh, in the imagination of mankind, <laughs> but not very often in the hearts, right? So once again, I highly recommend that you, uh, you uh, open yourself uh, a copy of the Lanka and uh, you begin um, the ex- experiential journey that is dependent origination that is a, a mind-only understanding of our reality and how we relate to it. Uh, and that same tool for perception is also the tool for our liberation, right? Just as just as it was taught originally. <laughs> just <laughs> It's funny. The guy's speeding and a guy turns into the lane beside him. And I guess he scared him because it was a big truck and he's in a tiny little car. And so he thought it was all right to honk at him. And now he's racing up the road, I guess, I don't know, to road rage after the guy. Or he just got mad, right? So there you go, okay? If you're already speeding up the road, and everyone else is speeding because of your bad example, is it no any surprise that a gentleman that wants to merge, by the way, in the proper lane, would therefore merge at an accelerated speed? But, again, as I said this truck merged into his proper lane. That little car was just scared. All that perception was in his mind. And how did he react? Did he go, "Mm, maybe I shouldn't be speeding. Mm, Maybe I shouldn't be playing with my music. Mm, Maybe I shouldn't be whatever he was doing instead of paying attention to what he should have been paying attention to. And worse yet, look at all of his little uh, temper tantrums after. I don't know if you heard it, but he honked for a good kilometer up the road. So, This is the idea. It's not simply mind as the tool and the oppressor, but it's an understanding of where this oppression comes from. It's our lack of understanding of the nature of reality, right? That dependent origination ties directly in to the marks of existence, right? That there is no self as we apply it, right? We are oneness, that shunyata idea, Right? Nirvana is the liberation from that delusion. Dukkha is the suffering that flows from that illusion. Right, And impermanence is what makes us understand not to grasp attachment or aversion because nothing lasts. But at the same time, it gives us the ability to handle even the toughest situations. Right? And how do we handle those tough situations? We handle them with that Noble Eightfold Path. What is it? It's simply right action and speech and thought and effort. Sama. Right? And all because the Four Noble Truths, again, as I say, some of the most famous, but probably the least important. Because if you understand uh, the marks of existence, you don't need the Four Noble Truths. I mean, the Four Noble Truths is almost like a, um, a tagline or it's our slogan, as Buddhists, right? Right there there is a truth to suffering, right? That truth is we all uh, are inherently dissatisfied with our existence because we are driven by ego-based selfish desires, right? There is a way out of this selfish suffering that we all are subject to. Right? That way out is just right action and right thought, right understanding right right, contemplation, right meditative absorption. What is that? That's when you get all this put together and you can use that mind and you can even use this phenomenal world this, this world of aggregates to tie up that mind allowing yourselves to see into your true nature, right? This is this oneness again, this shared doctrine with different names to see into your own Tathagatagarbha your Buddha store your storehouse, your vault. So on that, cats uh, raring to get inside, we'll leave this. So I hope you have a wonderful day. I hope I explain how important the Wonka is and how important dependent origination uh, is to the marks of existence, the Noble Eightfold Path.